What's up? And welcome back to episode 13 of the SportsBall.com podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Williams. And we've got a lot of NBA playoff basketball to get in today. And, you know, a little bit of baseball stuff, but not too much. So let's just jump right into it. Um, so like I just said, obviously, we're going to start with the NBA as playoffs have just started this past weekend. And things have gotten crazy. Shit, hit, shit has hit the fan already. And my predictions are actually looking pretty good. But a lot of the hot take artists you see on TV's predictions aren't looking all that great so far. But I thought we'd look at all the individual series right now and... Look at how things are shaking up. So first, I thought we should look at the Warriors because I feel like I haven't really gone in-depth on the Warriors in a while, and I don't think I will go in-depth on them right now, but we should probably talk about them because they are my favorite team. And I feel like this series is kind of the most important in terms of what's going to happen in the rest of the playoffs, or at least it's looking like it'll be that like that. So in the first two games, the Warriors now have a 2-0 lead on the Spurs, which is a shock to everyone who thought that they had really, really struggled in the playoffs without Steph Curry. Because they finished the season like 6-10 and 10 without him, even though they're also missing three of their other All-Stars during those same games. Um, my prediction for the series was Warriors in five, so that's actually looking pretty solid. But at this point, I would actually expect the Warriors to sweep. Um, the Spurs aren't just aren't that great, and they can't keep up with the Warriors, even without Steph. Um, yeah, they're just too old, and they don't have enough offensive firepower, especially without Kawhi, who has been ruled out for the rest of the playoffs, which will last probably two more games. Um, but so yeah, the Warriors are leading the series 2-0 already after two games. Their next game is on Thursday, which I think is the day this will be released, so turn on your TVs later. But, uh, in game one, the Warriors were absolutely masterful on the defensive end, especially in the beginning. Greg Popovich, coach of the San Antonio Spurs, said that that was the best defensive team he's played in a couple of years in that first game. Um... And their defense was just so great, they couldn't get this, this didn't let the Spurs get anything going uh, going whatsoever. Um, they were just so long. The starting lineup was Andre Godala, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, JaVale McGee. That's about as long as the Warriors can get. Um, they were crazy athletic, making a bunch of steals, blocks, and getting all the momentum they needed for the offensive end. And that helped a guy like JaVale McGee get off to a really hot start and have a really good game, actually. He had a season-high 15 points. And he absolutely locked down LaMarcus Aldridge on defense, which is something I didn't, definitely did not see coming. I don't think anyone saw it coming, really, because LaMarcus Aldridge has been really sneaky great this year. Uh, he's had, like, 30 points in, like, 40-something games, I think. I don't know the exact number because I didn't write it down or do any research, but LaMarcus Aldridge has been great this year. He was an all-star. He's probably looked his best since being in a Spurs uniform. This might be the best he's ever looked in his entire career. I didn't watch him a whole lot when he was in Portland, but he's definitely the best he's ever been now on the Spurs. Um, but yeah, JaVale McGee wasn't, also, wasn't the only really great performance from that game. Klay Thompson was also just absolutely absurd. I think he finished with something like 28 points, like 12 for 15 shooting. He only missed like three shots. He's been lights out in both these games, but in game one he was particularly good. Um, yeah, he had more points than Kevin Durant. I think that's because Kevin Durant didn't play in the fourth quarter, but Clay did. Um, but yeah, both those guys got off to a really hot start. Andre Iguodala looked really good in the first game and the second game, but we're talking about the first game right now. He looked excellent. He was running the offense like a like you would expect him to. It's it's starting <laughs> it's starting to feel like he conned us this whole season because there's <laughs> not going to mince words here. He was awful. For the 82 games, 82 game regular season, but the second the playoffs started, he sh- turned it up to a whole new level. He actually looks like himself again, and that's really good to see. Because frankly, I was a little worried <laughs> about that. I can't, I can't lie at this point. But uh, the Warriors were great. It was a blowout in Game One. I didn't write down the exact score. And NBA.com's been kind of freaking out on me today. Um, but yeah, they dominated Game One. It was a blowout. It was actually pretty it looked pretty easy for the Warriors. But Game Two. The Warriors didn't really show up for the first half, and I can say that it didn't really show up, but it was also that the Spurs were just playing out of their minds on the defensive end, not on the offensive end. But both teams were great defensively in that uh, in Game 2 in the first half. Neither team had more than, like, 50 points at half. I think the Spurs had a lead after both the first and second quarter. Um, the Spurs were just resilient. They, they know what it takes to win. They've been together forever. But, again, they just didn't have enough firepower to keep up with the Warriors. And despite the fact that they were really, really good in that first in that first half, in the second half, the Warriors just took over. I mean, 
I said the Warriors didn't show up in the first half. Holy shit, did they show up in the second half. Um, and they, then they absolutely blew the Spurs out of the water. Um, Andre Godala, the guy who Condus rated two games, was excellent in game one, was even better in game two. He hit four threes. Four of them. Now, I generally have been saying this year that anytime he hits more than one three in a game, or even hits a three in the game, the Warriors are most likely going to win. Um, Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant were both spectacular. They both had over 30 points, and Clay was out of his mind in the second half. Uh, I don't remember missing a shot in the second half. Maybe he missed one or two, but he was hitting some ridiculous shots. That was reminiscent of his 60-point game, his 37-point quarter. It was ridiculous. But um, Kevin Durant's 30, I think Kevin Durant had 31. Um, his 31 were pretty quiet, but that's just what he does. Um, he's spectacular, and I feel like we still underrate him to this day, and people underrated him going into the playoffs. Um, but throughout this game, what the message really was that I got and what I received was that it was now it's now very clear the Warriors are still the team to beat in the West, and obviously I'm biased. I'm a Warriors fan. I've lived in the Bay my whole life, but the Warriors are still very clearly the team to beat in the Western Conference, regardless of what your favorite TV talking head has said in the last six months. Playoff previews, everyone's saying, oh, the Houston Rockets, they are going to beat the Warriors. They are, it is their year. You seem to have forgotten the Warriors are a veteran team. They know what it takes to win. They've won two championships in three years. And they're full of guys who are veterans. They're not full of young guys who feel the need to show out every game of the year. The Warriors have done that. They won 73 games in the regular season, lost in the playoffs. They were tired. They were exhausted and injured. Got to take some time off in the regular season. I'm fine with that, even though it made for some really frustrating games in the regular season to watch. But if the end result is a championship, that's what I feel like it's worth it. I feel like most people would say it's worth it. It's not some scorching hot take here. Um, now, of course, the Warriors are up 2-0. But the Spurs are not a great offensive team in any sense of the word this year. Um, they can still score points when they need to. Um that is until they ran into the Warriors. Um, and that's why people, when they, we, I don't want to say people, I mean everybody. That's why people are discounting the fact that the Warriors are up 2-0 in this series because they're the Spurs, and they don't really have a great offense, and they were a really, really bad road team this year, and they were without Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, that's a recipe for the Warriors to go 2-0 regardless, but you have to look deeper into that matchup and look at the actual defense the Warriors were playing, how they were rotating, how they are defending shots in the perimeter and all that. But you, you, can, you can say that the Warriors have this 2-0 lead because of the Spurs' ineptitude on the offensive end. But I think it's really a product of just how great the Warriors are because the Spurs have been able to run with anybody this year, regardless of the fact that they don't really have a great offensive team. Um, and a big reason for the Warriors' defensive, just defensive prowess in this first couple games has been Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala. Draymond Green has been playing out of his freaking mind on defense just as good as we've ever seen him and there were stories leaking out these aren't obviously i don't think they were real but stories were leaking out that he was going to be traded he was going to be he wasn't going to be on the team next year if he didn't have a good postseason or the warriors didn't win a championship i think those stories aren't real i think they were probably strategically leaked out to give him motivation um and he has a beard now i don't know if any if i don't know if you guys have watched this game or watched the games but he has grown a beard it's not like a big bushy beard that you would expect on a lumberjack, but he looks good. It's a beard. Um, and then Andre Godala, his athleticism, his length, he's picking up steals, um, tipping passes. He's been great. And then there's also Clay, Kevin Durant, who've both been spectacular on defense all year. Clay Thompson, every year in his career, has just been an incredibly underrated two-way player. Even though everyone now talks about the fact that he's underrated, he's still somehow underrated. He's that good on both ends. Um, but not only has Andre Godala been the monster I was talking about earlier defensively, he's been great on offense. Um, I think I said earlier he's just been the starting point guard these first couple games, um, which is good because it lets Quinn Cook get some run with the second unit and get some shooting in that unit because it's hard to play Nick Young um, in the playoffs right now because I don't think he ever really got into shape and he's really not a good defensive player. Um, so having Quinn Cook out there with a the second unit providing some th- – Threats from three-point range is perfect. So Andre Iguodala running the first unit makes total sense. Um, but yeah, he's been running the offense incredibly well. But most importantly for the Warriors right now, he's hit five threes in these five threes total in these two games. Um, and to put that in some perspective right here, last year in the playoffs, he was not just in the playoffs, the regular season, but specifically in the playoffs, he was 
uh, absolutely awful from three. Um, in his first 12 games, he went three for 27. And that's, that's not me making up numbers. It's real numbers. Three for 27 in his first 12 games. This year, he's been absurd. I said in the second, I said a couple podcasts in a row now that in the second half, he was shooting over 40% on three. And I know I didn't think that was sustainable. I thought it was just some random hot streak or just a product of the fact that they weren't playing great, great teams anymore. But he's been absurd in the playoffs. He's five for seven in his first two games. He's made more threes in the first two games than he did last year in 12. And those 12 games were the entire Western Conference playoffs. Um, and then, like I said before, Clay Thompson has been absurd in these first two games. He's been shooting an unreal 66% from the field, 71% from three, 100% from the free throw line, with just two turnovers in 79 minutes so far in the playoffs. He's just been absolutely absurd, which is huge because he couldn't really shoot in the first three rounds of last year's playoffs. So having him as a a go-to shooter right now is incredible. And when Steph comes back, that's going to take so much pressure off of him and really is going to let him ease into it and get get his group back. Um, and yeah, so the Spurs down 0-2. And you could say it's because they don't have great offense and that's why the Warriors are so are, um, are beating him 2-0. But, and that's all accurate. But another big factor in that, the fact that Kawhi Leonard, their star player, who has been an MVP runner-up in two straight years, has been ruled out for the rest of the playoffs. And he isn't even with the team, like, on the sideline like Steph is. He's instead puttering around in NYC getting treatment on his legs um, or his quad or whatever it is. But, I don't know, it's a weird situation. There are reports now coming out that he doesn't even respond to texts or emails from the team for weeks at a time. I think it's become very clear that his time in San Antonio is effectively over. Um, I think he's fractured that relationship beyond repair, beyond the point of no return. Uh, I think they have to trade him this summer. Um, and to be honest with you, I hope the Spurs trade him somewhere where where the team's going to be awful for a decent period of time, so he has to suffer on that team. He's put the Spurs through just so much shit with his injury thing that I don't think he deserves to be traded to a great team. I know the Celtics will be after him. I know that I know basically any team will want Kawhi Leonard on their team, so the Celtics will be after him trying to get that for. A big three. I've brought that up for like seven weeks now. I think that'd be outstanding in the East next year. But I don't think trading him there would be beneficial because they do have a wealth of picks, but I'm a vengeful guy, I guess. <laughs> I wouldn't want to trade him somewhere good um, just because of all this. Um, me personally, I'd trade him like Sacramento and trade him Sacramento for all their good young players. <laughs> so it's just they're still the bottom of the NBA and now they have Kawhi. Um, send him to Brooklyn. Take all their decent players. They have a couple. Um, you could actually probably make a pretty decent swap with Brooklyn and get some nice young talent in exchange for Kawhi. Um, but you wouldn't have any draft picks because Brooklyn doesn't have any draft picks because they got fleeced by the Celtics in, like, what was it, like 2013 or something? Whatever it was. But, yeah, Kawhi Leonard's been a no-show for the Spurs. He only played in nine games this year. A lot of people thought he was going to be an X-factor come back in the playoffs. He hasn't. He's been ruled out for the rest of the playoffs, and people are upset about it. Um... I think that's basically it for the Spurs and Warriors. Um, so far, there have been two games. Next game's on Thursday. Oh, there's something with the Spurs. Um, this came out today. Um, and when I say it came out, it, it happened today. So uh, Greg Popovich, uh, the most respected coach in the NBA, probably the best coach in the NBA, if not one of the best coaches to ever coach in any sport, um, his wife passed away today um, after dealing with illness, and they were together for like 40 years, and that was uh, it's pretty sad. It's pretty, uh, yeah, it's, there's no other way for it. It's very sad. So um, my thoughts are with Greg Popovich and his family right now. I'm sure that's very tough. Um, See, so yeah, I don't really want to talk about it too much because it's sad. So uh, let's move to the next series. <laughs> oh, that's, I just shouldn't have said anything else. This is an awful transition, way to transition to another series. So uh, let's move to the Timberwolves and Rockets who have also played two games so far. And my prediction for the series coming in was that the Rockets were going to win in five games. Um, the Rockets won game one by only three points, despite the fact that Minnesota is not a good offensive team in the half court. Um, and Chris Paul attempted to throw the game away in the last couple of minutes. Um, yeah, Chris Paul was as bad as he's ever been in the playoffs. He had 14 points on five for 14 shooting. Uh, he turned the ball over on an awful turnover with less than a minute left, which could have led to the Wolves tying the game if the Wolves coach 
could have come up with a good last-second play instead of what they actually did, because what they actually did was a turnaround fadeaway two when they're down three points. So even if they made it, they would have been down. Some of the <laughs> some of the dumbest shit I've ever seen. Um, but James Harden was incredible for the Rockets. He had 44 points, and was I think he was probably the only reason they won this game. Um. Yeah, so the Rockets won that game. I think it was like 197. I don't remember the score. I didn't write it down because I'm lazy. Um, and then in game two, the Rockets just absolutely obliterated the uh, the Timberwolves. They got hot from three. Chris Paul was great. I think Chris Paul had like 30 points. But James Harden showed a little bit of ghosts from playoffs past, ghosts from, maybe uh, ghosts from playoff future. He went two for 17 with like 12 points. Um, someone must have reminded him that it's April, nearly May, and he just choked, froze. Uh, but even if he, even when he did that, the Rockets still won. Their bench guys were able to get going from three. The Timberwolves had an early lead. They were up like 25 to 17. And then they missed like 13 straight like, easy layups and the uh, easy layups and open shots around the rim. And the Rockets were able to get on and roll and jump right back ahead. Yeah, I don't think the, I don't think the Wolves are going to do anything in this series. I think the Rockets may end up sweeping them. I think if they're lucky, the uh, Wolves may take one game just simply because they'll be home in that atmosphere because they haven't, they haven't had a playoff game in like 11 years. But I have no faith in Timberwolves whatsoever. Yeah, so I still have faith in my prediction because the Wolves are playing bad and they seemed like they forgot Carl Anthony Towns is on their team. He didn't even play in the second half today. He went like one for nine in the first half. Um, but yeah, I, I you can't really take anything away from this. The Timberwolves are... Not great. They're the A seed for a reason. They could, I probably, I think they probably are a worse matchup in the playoffs than the Nuggets would have been. I think the Nuggets would have made a much more fun series, but uh, I think people are starting to realize that Tibbs might not be a good coach. (laughs) And uh, he basically has assembled the 2012 Bulls on this Timberwolves team, and they just, they aren't good. They didn't win a championship in 2012. There's no reason to think they're going to win a championship in 2018. So, yeah, my prediction stands. I think they're. I think the Rockets are going to win this game in five games. I think probably more likely in four. Um, the next, OKC versus Utah. My prediction for this series going in was Jazz in six. Um, in game one, OKC won that game pretty handedly thanks to an absolutely great performance from Paul George. And I hate giving any player on the Thunder any credit because I hate them. I, just, <laughs> I have for years now. I can't really explain to you why. It's just... I can't help it. Um, but he was great. He had, he had something like 36 points while making eight threes. Um, he was hashtag playoff P, um, which is a nickname he gave himself. <laughs> um, I know if I'm the only one, only one here who thinks this, but I think if you give yourself a nickname, it is still super lame. Regardless of the circumstance, you can't give yourself a nickname. And you can't expect people to call you by that nickname. It's... Probably the lamest thing you can do. Uh, yeah, you just can't. People, people around you are supposed to give you the nicknames, but what what it is what it is. He had thirty six points. He was great. Um, the team in game one, the team actually looked pretty good against the Jazz. Um, and the Jazz didn't really play very well. Um, they didn't play their great defense. Donovan Mitchell was still great in offense, but he got hurt. He hurt his, I think he hurt his toe or something. I don't remember what it was. Um, but he came out of the game. He came back, but the Jazz still lost. But the story with this game was such as Paul George and Russell Westbrook look really good, as much as I hate to say it. And that might be enough to carry them through the first round. They may be able to they might be able to beat this jazz team in the first round. Um, this this prediction is probably the one that's most in jeopardy in the Western Conference for me. And there's only four, so I guess that's still not a very solid batting average there. Um, but yeah, I don't think this the series I think it's gonna end up going seven games. Is this what it is? Um but if they do, if the OKC Thunder do make it through this round, I think they have a real threat. Um, I think they'd be a real threat to Houston, just because the star power they have and their ability to shut teams down offensively, uh, uh, defensively occasionally, just because of their length. And Paul George was outstanding on defense this year. Um, but here's the thing: Game Two is today, so they're not going to play two games. And the quote unquote OK three, as they're called, went 0 for 14 in the fourth quarter. Um, as the Thunder's lead crumbled away, and Donovan Mitchell exploded to take the game over for the Thunder, and then the Jazz even the series at one to one. 
So the series is tied 1-1. Um, going back to OKC, so the Jazz now have home court advantage again, or they never had in the first place. They now have home court advantage just because they won a game in OKC. So now the advantage is on the Jazz side because now the Jazz, all they have to do is win all their games at home, which is easier than winning on the road, especially in OKC. Um, and when I say that Donovan Mitchell exploded, I mean that he was absolutely insane down the stretch. Um, he proved once again that he should be Rookie of the Year. And to be honest, I think he reminds me of a young Dwayne Wade right now. Like, Dwayne Wade from, like, 04, 05. Just, he's that good. He Words cannot explain how mesmerizing it is watching Donovan Mitchell play and having the confidence that he has as a rookie. Um, but, yeah, so the series is tied at 1-1. One one. Um, I think this game series might end up going seven games, but because the Jazz even the series at 1-1, one taking a game in OKC. I think my prediction is more likely with the Jazz being able to win it in six because you got two games in, a, in a Utah. I think the Jazz could take both those games at home. Um, yeah, one more game in OKC, which I think the Thunder could take because, again, it's at home. And then the Jazz take care of business in game six at, at home. That's six games. I think I could still be right here, but more than likely this game, the series is going to end up going seven games. Um, and if it does go seven games, I think the uh, Thunder will win just because they do have the star power. And I, I trust Russell Westbrook, Paul George, or Carmelo Anthony more than Donovan Mitchell and that cast of role players in a winner-take-all game, if that makes sense. They just have more experience. And I'll never bet on inexperience in a playoff game. It's just, that's the same in any sport, maybe except for football. Um, but in baseball, I always say the same thing. What you never bet against in the playoffs heading into October is experience and momentum. And because the series is 1-1 right now, there's really no momentum. So in Game 7, if there's a Game 7, I will trust experience. And that's what the Thunder have the advantage on with the Thunder, or with the Jazz. Oh, my words get all jumbled up. But, uh, yeah, so that series is tied 1-1. Um, we'll see how that goes. It should be, probably should be over by the next time I record episode 14 of the podcast. But uh, the next series, and the last one in the West, is the New Orleans Pelicans versus the Portland Trailblazers. And this series has probably been the most captivating of the entire playoffs by a long shot. Um, going into this, I predicted the Pelicans would win this series in seven games. I just, I have no reason to trust Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum in the playoffs because they just get blown out by the Warriors every single year. Um, and through two games, and both these games were in Portland, so let me remind you that, the Pelicans, or the Trailblazers had home court advantage. They were their clear-cut three seed. The Pelicans have been great. The Pelicans are up 2-0. Anthony Davis won his first playoff game in like his sixth year in the league. And part of, this is probably going to be a super cheesy analogy. And I thought I was really creative when I was thinking about it, but I also had Finding Nemo in my brain. He's playing like a shark that just got a hint of blood in the water, and he's just ready to find that fish or creature that dropped that blood in the water. His eyes have rolled in the back of his head. His pupils are huge, and he knows what it feels like to win in the playoffs now, and he's chasing that feeling, and now they're up 2-0, and he's just been dominant. But he's been dominant with some help. Rajon Rondo, the veteran for of like a very long time. <laughs> How long has he been in the league now? Like over 10 years? He signed with the Pelicans for like a million dollars this offseason, so anyone in the league could have had him for pretty cheap, relatively cheap. He's been doing what he normally does in the playoffs, and we all knew that coming in. He's truly been a point god. He's been dishing out assists. He looks like a match made in heaven with Anthony Davis. Um, and then most surprisingly, a breakout stud for the Pelicans in the playoffs have been Drew Holiday. He's been absolutely absurd in these first few games. How often do I, how often do I say absurd? I, I think that's the word I use to describe cool things more than any other word on this podcast. Next week, will be I'll challenge myself to expand my vocabulary and use of the thor- thesaurus. But uh, until now, you're just going to deal with me saying absurd like 100 times an episode. Um, but yeah, he's been ridiculous. He's been playing excellent defense, excellent offense. He had like 31 points yesterday. That was game two yesterday on like Tuesday. Um, and he's just been making game-saving plays. He looks incredible. Um, and he single-handedly outplayed the duo of Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. 
And I think it's time for us to have a little bit of a dialogue about those two. Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum have routinely come up short in the playoffs, and not enough people talk about this. People compare Damian Lillard to Steph Curry. People think that that duo of Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum is better than Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Stop it. <laughs> what, pr- what evidence do you have? Every year in the playoffs, they lose to the Warriors. They lose to the better duo. Um, people even say that Damian Lillard is better than Steph. They said it was better than this year, which he did play more games, so give him that, but that's because Steph was injured. But when Steph was playing, he was arguably the second or best player in the league. Um, but with Damian Lillard specifically, and people saying he's better than Steph, and Steph is incredible. So, But Damian Lillard in the playoffs routinely just doesn't do all that well. Since that series a couple years ago when, when the Blazers beat Houston, he shot less than 41%. In five of those six playoff series, and not 41% from three, so that because 41% from three is still incredible. 41% from the field. That's not good. Um, he's not Stephen Curry. He's more like the Costco brand Stephen Curry. What's that? Kirkland brand? He's Kirkland brand Stephen Curry on a good day. What, he's probably more like Safeway brand. I don't even know what they call that. This is this knockoffs. <laughs> um, or he's dollar store, dollar store Steph. He's not the same. Steph is very clearly better. So the Pelicans are currently up 2-0, and they've just been playing out of their minds. And the games have been close, but it really feels like the Pelicans have all the momentum, and they're going back to New Orleans. So while I did predict that the Pelicans would win this game, this series in seven games, I'm changing that. I think they're winning this, <laughs> winning this series in four. I think the Pelicans are going to go on to sweep the Blazers. They're playing that well right now. Of course, I'm not worried because when they do sweep them, they're still going to have to play the Warriors in the second round. We all know how that's going to end up, don't we? Don't we? Um, Warriors win that series in five games, five games minimum. Um, but yeah, so that's it for the West. What is it? So current, just quick. The West Warriors are winning or leading the series two zero on the Spurs. The Thunder are up two zero on the uh, Timberwolves. The Jazz and Utah are locked at one, and the Pelicans are up two zero on the Trailblazers. So that's the West. Uh, so let's quickly go to the East because that's all. Those games have also been pretty interesting. Just not as interesting or captivating as the West. And that's that's not my fault for thinking that. It's just the East has uh, lower quality teams um, than the West. And that's, again, not so hot take. That's just a fact. <laughs> the West had more 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 uh, players top to bottom. More high quality players top to bottom. Better teams top to bottom. Um, so the first series to look at is the... Um, the Raptors versus the Wizards, and my prediction heading into the series with the, the Raptors were going to win this series in six games. And now that the Raptors are out to a 2-0 series lead, so I should say that I picked the Raptors in six because, again, I didn't think I could trust Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan in the playoffs. Um, but now that the Raptors are up 2-0, and they've been playing really well, and I might be getting sucked back into the idea of believing in DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. I might be. I know it's dumb. Um, I know I shouldn't. I just can't help myself. DeMar DeRozan had 37 points on 14 of 23 shooting in Game 2 while making three out of six threes. I mean, he still ain't Steph Curry. But <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, and if he can do anything similar to that throughout the rest of the playoffs and Kyle Lowry can be okay, then I think the, I think the Raptors have a chance. Um, but yeah, the Raptors just have a solid team. And yeah, the Wizards are awful. Um... And I hope that, I hope this is the last year that Bradley Beal and John Wall are on the same team. I hope the Wizards do something with one of those guys because it just hasn't worked. I think you need to blow up this experiment. And they, they have too much money committed to those two guys. And if you could trade them or trade one of those guys to a team where he could be more successful, then you got to do it. I think you owe it to one of them. I think you got to trade Bradley Beal. I think John Wall's owed too much money. Who would Bradley Beal be a good fit for? Um, wow. Imagine being able to pick a Bradley Beal. That'd be crazy. Huh. I, you got to link the Celtics to all these guys. I'm not going to start any rumors, but we'll just move on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the Raptors are up 2-0 against the Wizards. The Wizards are awful, so that's really not anything. Um, not really a big surprise. I did pick the Raptors in six. I'm going to adjust that again. I think Raptors win this series in five games. I think the Wizards do have one big game at home, um, but that's it. I think... Largely, this isn't going to be that tough for the Raptors to move on to the second round. Um, the next series, Celtics versus Bucks. My prediction heading into this with the Celtics are going to win this series in five games, simply because of the fact 
that the Celtics are the best coach team probably in the NBA, whereas the Bucks are the worst period, coach period, team period in the entire NBA. The worst coached team in the entire NBA. They fired Jason Kidd, and they didn't get replace him. They haven't just an interim head coach right now. What's his name? Joe Prunty, I think. They're just not good. Um, and they haven't been good in this series. And the biggest difference, difference maker really has been coaching. Brad Stevens what, and has been doing what he does. And what he does is he puts his players in a position to succeed in a way that few other coaches can. Um, Terry Rozier, a backup point guard, has been thriving in the playoffs, as has Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, both rookies and second-year players. Um, now the Bucks, they did keep things interesting in Game 1, thanks to an incredible buzzer-beating three from near half-court by Chris Middleton. Um, but outside of that, they've just been outplayed. Just up and down the court on both ends, just completely outplayed. Um, Giannis has been great, or he was great in Game 2. But they just haven't been great as a team. Um, Eric Bledsoe, who forced his way out of Phoenix earlier this year with the iconic I don't want to be here anymore tweet, um, he's been outplayed by Terry Rozier, um, who's a backup point guard. Um, and not only has he been getting beaten by Terry Rozier and just being outplayed by him, he's been getting his ass kicked by Rozier. And after game two, I think he was, the reporters were talking about his locker. They asked him about Terry Rozier. And uh, Eric Bledsoe said he doesn't even know who the fuck that is. Um, which is... <laughs> I, it, it would be disrespectful if you were winning the series or you were putting up any semblance of a good... Any, <laughs> any kind of good individual numbers, but you're not. <laughs> you're playing like trash, and your team is playing like trash. So I don't know why you're talking shit to the Celtics. Um... But yeah, this team, the Bucks, are just not well constructed at this point. And going forward, I think what the Bucks have to do to be successful in the future, if they want to be able to compete with the Celtics and the 76ers in the next like five years, um, unless you have to do this, unless um, Giannis just turns into LeBron James <laughs> or prime LeBron James. But I think what they have to do is they have to cut bait with a bunch of these guys. They have to just let a couple of them go. What you need to do is have Giannis. And four shooters on the floor at nearly all times. Um, or at least for your starting lineup. You need Giannis and four shooters to space the floor. Because right now, you don't really have that much of an offensive system. And that's what LeBron James teams do when they're successful. And if you're going to compare Giannis to LeBron James, as many people always do, and I do, I'm, I'm guilty of that. But if you want the Bucks and Giannis to be successful, you need to give them a good team around them. And not build his strength and not just build a good team on paper. Um, it's the same thing the Pelicans did this year with AD. Once Boogie went out, they went and got Nicole, Nikola Miritich, whatever his name is, Miritich. Uh, I fucked up his first name. <laughs> um, yeah, they've just got a bunch of shooters around Anthony Davis, and he's been able to feast on the boards on the inside. And that's perfect for a big guy who's the star of your team, like Giannis is. But this version or this iteration of the Milwaukee Bucks just isn't that. It's not good, and they have no chance to win this series, and I think they're going to get swept. I know I said five games, and I was just giving Giannis a benefit of doubt to just explode in one game, and he exploded last game, and they still just got blitzed, just absolutely knocked off the map. Um, so, yeah, the Celtics are up 2-0, as I think we all expected. Um, the next series, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Miami Heat currently locked 1-1. One one. My prediction heading in was that the 76ers win the series in five games. Um, in game one, the 76ers were incredible. There's no, there's no other way to put it. Um, ben Simmons was doing an incredible job distributing, distributing the ball, running the offense, while kicking it out to J.J. Redick and Marco Bellinelli, who were red hot from three. And when I say red hot, I mean you. it, it didn't cool off. You literally need to spray them with a fire extinguisher. They were en fuego. Um, and that led to a blowout win. And then in game two, the team just couldn't hit a three. Uh, and the Heat were able to beat them thanks to a vintage performance from Dwayne Wade. He had like 28 points and hit a dagger um, while talking a bunch of shit to Kevin Hart, who I think this is the second time now the 76ers have just been obliterated because Kevin Hart has talked shit to somebody the first time with James Harden like two years ago. <laughs> I think he used to stop talking shit to professional athletes. He's like 5'4". <laughs> and these guys are all giants. Um, but really what this, the Heat win was was that they were able to do just everything right. And it led to a loss for the Sixers, snapping their 17-game winning streak. I'm still very confident in the Sixers being able to win the series in five games, and that's what I predicted. This, I think this team is just young enough. It has enough young talent and good shooting to be able to shut down the heat. 
And I think the Heat really showed us what they're able to do in game two. I think that was really them putting all their cards at the table. Um, the extract in this series is Joel Embiid, who has not played, and he's not going to play in game three. Um, and as you might expect, he is frustrated by this, I think, as anyone would be. But after game two, um, he took to Instagram and he posted a story that said, that he, in the caption read, I'm fucking sick of being babied. Because he feels like he should be able to play. He was cleared from concussion protocol. He has a mask to protect his face because he broke or he fractured his orbital bone, so that's why he's out right now. But I th- he wants to play, and I don't blame him. I would want to play too. And he's the best player on that team. And I want to see, I want to see him play in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I think my prediction is going to be right here, and the Sixers are going to figure it out and win the series in five games. Uh, they've got too much shooting. Um, and Ben Simmons is... Ben Simmons is so good. <laughs> he might be the next coming of LeBron James. And I've never made that that comparison for anybody before. I've said Giannis could be similar to LeBron James, or they could build a team around Giannis similarly to the way they build teams around LeBron. I think Ben Simmons might be the next LeBron James. And if Ben Simmons develops a jump shot, we're done. <laughs> the league, cancel it. Or at least the Eastern Conference, just cancel it. He's going to be incredible for the next decade. He looks like a young Magic Johnson. Um, but yeah, so that's it for that series. And I think, is this the last one? Yeah, this is the last one. So don't worry. We'll be, we'll be out of the NBA as soon as possible. Um, the last series that we're going to talk about is the Indiana Pacers versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. And my prediction for this series heading in was Cavs in six. And I don't think I'm going to be right. In the first game, the Cavs got absolutely smoked. And I genuinely fear for my prediction that they were going to win in six games. I don't think I'm going to be right. I think I'm going to be wrong. I think Pacers are winning the series. Even though I sort of saw that coming. I sort of saw the Pacers being able to win this. I posted on, the, on Sportsball.com a piece. Um, after Kyrie Irving was ruled out for this series, I said that I think the Pacers have the best chance of beating LeBron James in the, uh, in the East. Um, and then I talked myself into the 76ers. But in game one, the Pacers were just great. And I... I should have saw. I did see this coming, to be honest with you. And I'm not bragging because I did. I did see it coming. This is a humble brag, <laughs> as humble as I can be. Because um, what the what the Pacers are, they're the anti Cavs. The Cavs are great at shooting the three, but the Pacers aren't. But defended better than nearly everybody. Indiana plays solid defense. The Cavs are 29th in defense. The Pacers are among the league's best two point shooting team. And the Cavs are a 29th ranked defensive team in the league. The Pacers are basically the anti-Cavs, and they're being led by a more likable, fun version of Russell Westbrook, who was absolutely great in Game 1, by the way. He was absurd. I did it again. I said absurd. Um, I'll stop doing that next episode. I'll break out of the of thesaurus. Um, but yeah, so the Pacers won Game 1. Lance Stevenson had a couple big moments on LeBron James, as he always does. And he might be my most... My favorite bad player to watch. He's just the most entertaining bad player in the league because he's not good. I think, I think we can all admit that at this point. Um, but at game, in game two, LeBron had an absolutely Herculean effort to barely pull out a win over the Pacers. They won by, like, I think two, two or three points. Um, but when I say Herculean effort, I mean, like, an unheard of good game. It was, like, it was unbelievable. He had 46 points. 12 rebounds and 5 assists. He scored the Cavs for 16 points. 16. He outscored the Pacers in the first quarter. He had 20 points in the first quarter. The Pacers had 18. He was remarkable. And he was the only player on the Cavs who could do anything <laughs> and uh, in that three-point win at home to the Pacers. Um, and a big part of that win was the fact that Victor Oladipo had two quick ticky-tack fouls early, which didn't really look like fouls to me. And it reminded me of something that might have happened in 2016 because, I, I don't know, LeBron James might have made a call to the league office, but we're moving past that. It's 2018 now. Um, yeah, and then the Cavs had some awful defense late in the game on a potential game-tying three from Victor Oladipo, which, luckily for LeBron the Cavs, he missed. But Oladipo was open for a game-tying three. Uh, so the bottom line with game two was that LeBron James got lucky even with LeBron's ridiculous game. And I think they're I think they're done. <laughs> The team is crumpling around him. LeBron James came out a... Uh, this came out today. Um, LeBron James said that the Cavs roster changes that he orchestrated the trade deadline have hurt their ability to get ready for the playoffs. Which, I don't know, is funny to your boy because he, uh, I don't know, 
built this roster at the trade deadline by himself, basically. Um, but then another thing happened to the Cavs in that game. Kevin Love partially tore a ligament in his left thumb during Game 2, and he still expected to play in Game 3. But you tear a ligament in your hands as a shooter, which is what he is, that's gonna, it's going to impact his play. I think the Cavs are done. I think the Pacers are winning the series in six games. I think my patient Cavs in six is now Pacers in six. I think LeBron James is going to be out of Cleveland, Cleveland in six games. And I think he's going to go west. I think he's going to go to the... Uh, no, I don't think he's going to go west. I don't know where he's going to go. I'm not going to speculate anymore because that's not fun. And I hear all day long about people talking about where LeBron James is going to go. Um... Yeah, I think that's it for uh, that's East. And with that, the NBA. I've talked about the NBA so much in this podcast series, and I can't wait until the end of the season because not only will the Warriors be champions again, but uh, I can finally delve fully into baseball because that is my <coughs> my absolutely favorite sport, and it always has been, and it probably always will be. Um, but yeah, that's that's it for the NBA. We'll try to keep the rest of this quick because I know I talked about the NBA for what feels like a decade. <laughs> um, so with the NFL, there's not a whole lot of stories right now. There's not really anything popping up with the NFL right now. OTAs are starting, which is offensive training camp. They're optional. They don't have to show up to them. But um, And the draft is a couple weeks away. But things are going to pick up shortly because, again, the draft, people are going to make trades, trade up, and we can break down some of the top prospects in the draft. Um, we can figure out who we think is the best quarterback coming out of college. Is it Sam Darnold? Is it Josh Rose? And is it Baker Mayfield? Is it Josh Allen? Who knows? We'll see. But the big story, and this came out today, so this is hot off the presses. And when I say hot off the presses, I mean the story broke at 5.30 a.m. Pacific time. And this is 11 o'clock Pacific time. Um, 11 p.m. Um, is that Adam Schefter, very well respected. Uh, he's basically the woes of the NFL. <laughs> if that makes sense. But he's very well-respected source of NFL information. What he puts out is more more often than not correct. So today he reported that Tom Brady, you may know of the greatest quarterback of all time, he currently plays for the New England Patriots, he is not committed to playing next season, and he may retire. It's still up in the air. He did not attend the Patriots OTAs, which just started, and neither did Gronk. Um, but yeah, this is surprising. We all knew... That this had to end at some point, because again he's in like year what eighteen now of his career. He's forty. He's won five rings. He's lost three Super Bowls. He's been to eight Super Bowls. He won an MVP in his age forty season. We know his wife has wanted him to stop playing for several years now, and that was even clear with that whole Tom versus Time documentary on Facebook. Which, if you haven't seen, I would recommend it. I really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, he may retire, and if he does retire, the Patriots are. <laughs> They're done. They don't have a quarterback. Brian Hoyer is their quarterback. I saw him in six games in San Francisco last year. He was awful. Absolutely awful. Um, but, yeah, I think he retires. The Patriots are done, and the AFC East is going to have an interesting uh, interesting outlook. But there are no really good teams in the AFC East. It's the thing. Um, but, yeah, so if he retires... Um, I think the Patriots would be bad the, the uh, this year. Bill Belichick might end up retiring as well after the season just because they don't have a quarterback. They don't have a succession plan of quarterback because they traded Jimmy G, even though Bill Belichick didn't want to. And, uh, <laughs> Bill Belichick, let me thank you personally. We love the kid. He is going to be the greatest quarterback to have ever put on put on shoulder pads. <laughs> Jimmy G is the GOAT already. And he, has any, he already has two Super Bowl rings without... <laughs> without starting a game. Come on. Um, that's beside the point. But I don't think Tom Brady is going to retire. It's just a rumor that he's not committed to playing next season and may retire. But I don't think he will. I'd be shocked if he did retire. But it creates a very interesting situation because there have been a lot of leaks out of the Patriots this past year, this past offseason. Normally that place is like Fort Knox. Nothing gets out of, uh, out of Foxborough, but... Lately, there have been more leaks there than the Trump White House, which is which is saying something. Um, but yeah, so basically, Schefter reported that Tom Brady's not committed to playing next season. He might retire. I don't think it's going to happen, but who knows? Anything could happen. I think he stays. I think he still wants to get another Super Bowl ring, and I feel like he knows that his, his time is running out to be able to do that. And I think he wants to have the... I think he wants to have... Uh, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I think he wants six. 
I would think he wants six to be able to match a guy like MJ. But yeah, that's it with the NFL. So we'll briefly talk about the MLB. And when I say briefly, I mean we'll try to keep this really quick. Um, it's been nearly 20 games. So I think we should break down, or not break down, just run through quickly who the division leaders are in each division and whether or not we think a couple of leagues are sustainable or not. So in the NL East, the Mets are leading with a record of 13-4. NL Central, the Pirates are 12-6. and six. In the NL West, the Diamondbacks are 12-4. and four. In the AL East, the Red Sox are 14-2. and two. In the AL Central, the Indians are 9-6. and six. In the AL West, the Angels are 13-4. and four. And those are all the division leaders after nearly 20 games. Now, out of all of these, which do I think is the most and least sustainable? The most sustainable, I think, and I think two of them are the most sustainable. The Mets, who are 13-4, and four, and I mean, when I say sustainable, I mean they're going to be very good. I don't think they're going to be the greatest team of all time, but I think they have enough pitting, pitching and hitting to be good. <laughs> they have enough pitching and hitting to go around. Um, I think that barring injury, this team could be the best team in the National League. Um, they've got four aces. And they got Matt Harvey, who's kind of an enigma at this point, but he can have a really good game every now and again. And they've got a really good offense. Um, yeah, I think the Mets have a st- their record is sustainable. Not, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna lose four games every seventeen games, but I think they're gonna be really good. And then the Diamondbacks are twelve and four. I think that's also very sustainable. Um, they have everything. They've got a really good starting rotation, a really good bullpen, a really good offense, which. And their offense has some key guys hurt right now, but yeah, I think those two are the most sustainable. I think the least sustainable, and this should be pretty obvious, is the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are currently twelve and six. They're just red hot offensively, um, and they have a decent pitching staff, not great, but decent. But they traded away their biggest stars of the generation this offseason, and Andrew McCutcheon and Garrett Cole, who have, Andrew McCutcheon's not been great for the Giants, but Garrett Cole, who I predicted is going to win the Cy Young Award, has been outstanding for the Astros. Um, and Josh Harrison just broke his hand. Um, so this team will cool off, but it is worth noting that Josh Bell, who's their first baseman, already has 13 RBIs, and Gregory Polanco, their outfielder, has five homers and 15 RBIs despite just hitting 197. Um, yeah, so that's that. And then a couple things. I think there are a couple teams we should be panicking about, <laughs> or teams that should be panicking right now, and uh, we'll go through two of them, just... I've talked for long enough, so we'll we'll make this quick. We'll get more into baseball as as uh, ML, as the NBA playoffs end, as they wrap up, or as it boils down to two teams, or two or, or as it, as the rounds get more and more, as the teams get eliminated, more baseball will come. <laughs> That's just how it's going to work. I'm a full time student. I can't spend that much time on everything. Um, but so I think we have to panic about the Giants at this point. They are now seven and ten. They just won a game today in extra innings after blowing a save. Which they've blown six of, by the way. It's September. They've blown six saves already. Or it's not September. What <laughs> My brain is absolutely fried, <laughs> in case you couldn't tell. Um, they've blown six saves. It's May. It's March. It's April. It's April. <laughs> oh, my God. It's April, and they've already blown six saves. It's April 18th. April 18th. Um, and this pains me to say, but the Giants are bad right now. <laughs> Their p- offense has been absolutely dreadful all year, and they've spoiled excellent pitching performances from their staff. Johnny Cueto, Ty Block, and Chris Stratton have all been pretty good, and Cueto and Stratton in particular have been excellent. Cueto has an ERA below one in three starts, and Stratton has like 12 consecutive shutout innings. Uh, And that offense is, I think, a couple main factors for the offense is Austin Jackson is not really hitting in center field, Um, which isn't great. Obviously, but he plays good defense. And then Hunter Pence, and this pains me to say because I love the guy. Hunter Pence is a legend in San Francisco, but he's been awful on both sides of the ball. Um, and while he's been awful, Mac Williamson, with his reworked swing in AAA, has been unbelievable. He's been so freaking good. In AAA this season, in just 10 games, he's hitting 514. With six homers, 16 RBIs, seven walks, and just five strikeouts. That's right. Six home runs and 16 RBIs in 10 games. I think you have to bring him up. And it really shouldn't be that as big of a deal as it is because he was a stud in spring training. But I think it's time for Hunter Pence to move to a bench role. 
and we, we can see him be more successful in that he doesn't need all these consistent at-bats because he hasn't been able to do anything. I think he's two RBIs this year in, like, 17 games. Um, but, yeah, so he's been bad. Uh, Austin Jackson hasn't been great. Neither has a couple guys. Buster Posey's still incredible. He's still hitting nearly 400. Um, Evan Longoria's a big game to find his stroke. He has three homers. Joe Panic has three homers. Brandon Crawford struggled a little bit offensively. Brandon Belt's been decent. He's struck out a lot, though. Um, Andrew McCutcheon's been okay. He starts off every year pretty slow, so I'm really not worried about him or, or uh, Longoria. But, uh, yeah. Um, Austin Jackson's been not, not been great, like I said before. So I also think we should bring up Steven Duggar, who was he was really good offensively in spring training. He was really good on both sides of the ball in spring training, especially defensively. And we brought in Austin Jackson as a, as a platoon guy. He's not supposed to start every day. Um, he's really good. I think he's really good against righties, if I remember the splits correctly. I don't feel like looking it up right now. Um, he's really good against, I think, righties, and Stephen Duggar's really good against lefties. So a platoon there would be perfect and prepare uh, prepare Duggar for the future because he is the center fielder of the future, and I think we're all very comfortable with that fact. And An outfield of him, Andrew McCutcheon, and Mack Williamson sounds so good to me right now. <laughs> I just want the Giants to score some runs. <laughs> Please. Um, but yeah, so now the Giants are seven and ten, which isn't great. Uh, I think they have the least amount of wins in the National League West, even though they're not in last somehow. Um, I've said from the beginning of the year, ever since Bumgarner went down, that they need to hover at least around five hundred before Samarja and Madison, and more, most importantly, Madison Bumgarner get back to have a chance at October. Um, but my panic meter has been <laughs> set to officially worried. Um, <laughs> it's like. I'm nearly at a full-blow panic, but the Giants won today um, after blowing a save. Brandon Bell hit a two-run homer in the 10th inning. Um, but, yeah, I'm officially worried. That's like one step away from nervously biting my nails about them and then one step after that away from being full-blown panic. We're screwed forever, and we're never going to be good again. Um, and then a team I think we should also keep an eye on and potentially panic about is the Yankees, who are 8-8, eight and eight, who are which are... Which, which is better than the Giants, so I, I can't really say we should be panicking about them. But I think we get my point. We're trying to be objective here. Um, the Yankees are 8-8, eight and eight, and many projected them to be the best team in baseball this year, even better than the Astros, which I thought was a little ridiculous. But their pitching staff just isn't all that great, and we knew that coming in, they're relying on a couple guys who are unproven, a couple guys who are really old, like CeCe Sabathia. But then... A couple guys in the offense have been struggling. Keep in mind, the offense has been really good, but Gary Sanchez hasn't been great. I think Gary Sanchez is hitting below the Mendoza line. But more importantly, the big offseason addition of Giancarlo Stanton is hitting below the Mendoza line. He's hitting 197 with 29 strikeouts in 66 at-bats. And I don't know if you know anything about strikeouts and how often you should do that, but 29 times in 66 times you're at the plate is not good <laughs> at all in any sense of the word. But uh, I don't know. I expect the Yankees to be able to rebound because they play in a Little League ballpark and they can just mash. Um, but I don't think they're the best team in the division. I think the Red Sox are the best team in the division unless they crumble. The Blue Jays have been surprising. Um, what are they now? The Blue Jays are, what, 12-5? and five? They've got – Blue Jays are surprisingly good. Um, the Orioles are still trash. The Rays are still trash in that division. They're both 5-13. and 13. The AL Central, the Indians have got off to a pretty slow start, relatively speaking. They're nine and six. Um, the Twins have been kind of surprising me in the Central. They're seven and five. They have a couple of really good guys. Jose Barrios, however you pronounce his name, has is incredible. I think he was like a dark horse for me in the setting. Heading into the year, because again, I'm a genius, folks. <laughs> There's no denying it at this point. I am what you call a prophet of predicting sports. Um but yeah, in that division, it seems like it's really going to be a two-horse race all year with the Indians and Twins, because the Tigers are six and nine, and they're going to get worse, and the White Sox are four and eleven, and they're going to be probably a little better than that, and the Royals are three and thirteen, and they're going to get worse. The Royals are bad. Um, the AL West is probably the most interesting division in the AL right now. Angels are at the top, thirteen and four. Astros right behind them, eleven and seven. Astros fallen off a little bit after the last couple of games. Um, but they're still really good. They're still the team to beat in the American League and the MLB, actually. They're just the best top-to-bottom team there is. Uh, the Mariners have been a little bit surprising to me at 9-6. and six. I did think that they could have a decent year. Uh, I just didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. 
the A's are 9 and 10, nearly 500, um, even though they draw less than 1,000 people to their games. <laughs> it's really sad, by the way, how little people go to the A's games. But, I mean, the A's kind of deserve it. This whole Moneyball era and kind of just screwing your fans out of being able to grow up and be a fan of any one player on your team is kind of ridiculous. Think about it like this. Do you know who the A's have had in the last in, since 2010? They've had some of the best players currently in baseball. You know Josh Donaldson, an MVP in the American League, currently plays third base for the Toronto Blue Jays? He was in the A's. He was traded to the Blue Jays. Um, you know Yoannis Cespedes? Currently, uh, he's on the Mets. I picked, I picked him to be the NL MVP this year. He just hit a grand slam today. You know where he started his career? The A's. They, they traded him to the Red Sox, and now he's in the Mets. Um, he was in the Tigers, too, I think, right? Not for very long, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, but, yeah, um, the A's, trash. They're going to be bad. They're 9-10 and 10 right now, but I don't think they're going to be very good. And the Rangers are 7-13, and 13 and they are old. Rangers pitching staff is old. <laughs> they don't have a whole lot of offense. I don't think the Rangers are going to be any good. I think they're going to be hovering around the bottom of that division all year. Um, am I mumbling? I probably am. It's It's been like over an hour, though, at this point. It has to have been, so <laughs> screw it. Um, the NL East, Mets, 13-4, like I said before. Very good. I thought they were going to be very good coming into the year. The Phillies are in second place, which is surprising to me. They're 10-7. and seven. They've got a ton of young guys. I'm actually very surpri- very excited about the Phillies. Um, I've been a low-key Phillies fan every ever since I like baseball. When they acquired, when they had their four aces, when they had Roy Holiday, Cliff Lee, um, uh, Cole Hamels, and Roy Oswalt, that was incredible to me. I was, me and my brother were both a huge fan of that. Um, and they've got a couple young guys. They've got, I can't remember Scott Kingsley, their second baseman, whatever his name is, Kingery. Um, they've got a couple young guys on the infield, the outfield. Their pitching staff is full of young guys who are really good. That's the process of being bad for a couple years. So that gives me some hope as a Giants fan um, that we could be good soon. But I don't think the Phillies are going to end up being as great a team as they are. I think they're going to hover around 500, maybe a couple games above, a couple games below when the season's all said and done. The Braves are 10-7. and seven. They've got a couple really good young guys, but I think they're going to fall off. They're going to be below 500. The Nationals are 9-10. and 10. That's very surprising to me. I think the Nationals were... I think I picked the Nationals to be nationally champs coming into the season. Um, they just haven't been great. I think they're going to f- figure some things out. They'll make a couple additions to the trade deadline. Maybe even before um, a couple guys become available. If they could try to pick up... Uh, what's his name? From... Uh, the Rays. They could pick up Chris Archer. It's not even... <laughs> I'm just completely making things up right now. They, I don't think Chris Archer is being dropped. But if they could pick him up and add him to their staff, that help him. But they're hovering around 500. They'll be better. They'll be second in the East behind the Mets. The Central Pirates are 12-6. and six. I said that's not sustainable, obviously. The Cardinals are behind them 10-7. I think that's very good. Cardinals have some really nice guys. Brewers are 10-9. and nine. I think the Brewers are going to get better. I think they're going to be second division, but the Cardinals are going to be first. Um, Cubs are 7-8. and eight. Also, I think the Cubs are going to be very good. <laughs> they're just off the slow starts. Every team in the NL Central is, except for the Reds, who are 3-15 and 15 and will be very bad all year and probably for a couple years going forward. NL West, Diamondbacks are first, 12-4. and four. Diamondbacks second, or Diamondbacks are first. Rockies are second, 11-9. Dodgers are third, seven and nine. Giants are fourth, seven and ten. Um, and the Padres are last at seven and twelve. I think that Tom actually wins the division pretty easily. I think the Rockies are going to fall off. I think the Dodgers are going to make a comeback. I think this might be the year we see some regression with the Diamondbacks, though. Kenley Jansen has blown two saves already. His velocity is down. Clint Kershaw's velocity is down. I think it's the year we see some diminishing diminishing returns from the uh, Dodgers. I think the Giants are going to end up in second place in the division and because I'm a homer. <laughs> That's the only reason why. Um, but yeah, and then the Padres are going to be bad for a long time just because that's what the Padres do. And that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's enough talking for me. I think we've all heard enough from me this episode. So uh, that has been episode 13, lucky number 13 of the sportsball.com podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Williams. Um, if you want to hear more from me, Go ahead and go on iTunes, click that subscribe button, leave a five-star review. Um, 
or go on the website, listen to it there. You want to hear more from me in terms of writing. I also write in sportsball.com. That's sportsball with a Z. S-P-O-R-T-Z-B-A-L-L.com. That's sportsball.com. Um, and yeah, new podcast will be out every Thursday. Having to switch up the recording schedule just because I'm a student and <laughs> Tuesdays is just full of classes for me. But uh, yeah, that's it. Hope you enjoyed episode 13 and I'll see you next week.